Hey, amen. Grab a seat, and as you do, grab your Bible. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. If you need a Bible under a seat close by, you'll find a Bible under one of those chairs. Grab it, get it in your lap, and get it open. Um, We're here to hear a word from the Lord this morning, uh, Philippians chapter 4. And uh, while you turn there, let me uh, get a word up behind me on the screen here. And this word, uh, contentment, can kind of conjure up some different things in different people. Um, uh, Some of us, We see this word contentment and we go, please, like I want that. Like I don't know about you, but um, we have a way of being able to figure out very quickly in life how to be discontent in some things. Um, I have found contentment to be content to be a little more elusive to grasp. And so when many of us see the word contentment in here this morning, we're going, please, I long, I long, I long to know what it means to be content. Um, I've talked to people, I've sat across the table from people though before, and um, they're going, um, contentment, I I get it, but I don't know if I want to be content. And you're going, what in the world? Who doesn't want to be content? Um, These are typically like high motor people, high drive people, and they've associated contentment with settling. And they're like, I don't want to settle, so I don't want to be content. But hear this today, God wants contentment for all of us in this room. God wants us to experience what it feels like, what it is like to be content. And he's going to speak to that. This message today from this passage of Philippians 4 is about this thing called contentment. But so we're all on the same page. Um, let's define the way that this word, uh, to be content, is used in this passage today. Definition, contentment, a state of peaceful satisfaction. All in favor of that, say aye. I want that. And yet, you know, Tuesday morning rolls around and I'm in sermon prep for this and the Lord just bubbling to the surface. All the areas I still just lack this peaceful satisfaction. Just the con- this contentment in what God's given us and the season we're in. Today's message is about contentment. And something so powerful from the passage today, as we study these four verses, Paul's going to make a statement in the midst of this passage, and he's going to say this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be what? So we're 13 weeks into this study through the book of Philippians. So you tell me, where's Paul writing this letter from? He's writing this letter from prison. Hear the chains clanking as he writes this. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned no matter the circumstance, no matter the season, no matter the prison cell, how to have a state of peaceful satisfaction. I don't know about you. I kind of want to know the secret. Paul is going to unpack this for us today. But this contentment thing is a big deal. And I, I recognize a wrestle to some varying degree for every one of us who walk into this room here today. Uh, some of us are discontent with a job. No amens, okay. Some of us are discontent that we don't have a job. Some of us are discontent longing to retire from our job. Others of us have found 
the retirement years of retiring from your job to be very discontented. Like there's just something about this that we can struggle to catch, to grasp this ever elusive contentment. God's got a word for us today on this topic. And so um, just if you would, by your head, let's prepare to hear from the Lord. And I just want to give kind of 30 seconds before I pray over us, just for you to pray quietly and ask the Lord to just reveal some things in your life where you're struggling to catch this thing of contentment. Lord, we come here today as your people and we just confess to you that um, too often have we put value in things to bring us total contentment that could never satisfy, that could never fulfill what we hoped it would promise. Lord, we uh, confess that we have looked for lasting and full contentment in things that this world presents to us. And again, we found it lacking. Lord, I pray for every one of our hearts that are in here who to some varying degree are wrestling this discontentment thing to the ground. Lord, I pray that you would show us the fullness of who you are. I pray as Paul in this letter unpacks what he states of how he has learned to be content no matter the circumstance, Lord, that we would uh, find this joy of rooting all of our contentment in you. And yet, Lord, um, I recognize right now that apart from the power of your spirit applying your word to our hearts, Lord, um, we will leave grasping for this still. And so God, um, would you get the preacher out of the way would the feast of your word be held high for our famished souls? And Lord, would you give us hope for contentment in a deeply discontent world? And I pray these things now in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 4, get to verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, Paul is coming to the close of this letter, and uh, remember the context in which this letter is written. Um, Paul was part of planting this church in the city of Philippi, and so you have a group of Jesus followers in the city of Philippi. They catch word one day um, that, that uh, a guy who kind of poured his blood, sweat, and tears into the, their church being established, this guy named Paul, is now in prison in Rome. And upon getting this news, they're like, we got to do something about this. Uh, we're going to find next week as we close this series out, the Philippians from day one have always been about doing something to help Paul's ministry. And so they get word and they say, we're, uh, um, we're sending someone his way. 
they raise up this guy from within their congregation, a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, uh, and they send him with some money uh, over to Paul. Hundreds of miles, he makes the trek, he brings a financial gift, because as you can imagine, um, um, there wasn't an excess of food while Paul was in his Roman imprisonment. Um, Probably no extra clothes to wear, uh, probably not a blanket at night. Um, Epaphroditus goes to encourage, to serve Paul, and he brings a financial gift in the process. Now, as Paul closes this letter, um, he's trying to say thanks for that. Like, how do you adequately say thanks for traveling, sending someone to travel hundreds of miles, bringing a financial gift to provide for you while you're in a Roman imprisonment? It goes a little deeper than like the post-wedding, hey, thanks for the toaster. Can't wait to toast stuff. And you can sense as Paul's closing the letter to the Philippians, he's trying to grasp for how do I say thank you for this extreme lavish generosity and care that you've shown for me. And he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Imagine that. Imagine kind of the knock on the door and uh, Paul could receive visitors in this imprisonment and to find Epaphroditus there. This face from Philippi, Paul would have understood what it would have been like to make that travel. And Epaphroditus comes with a gift. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Were they ever not concerned for him? No. no. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. It's like when you, uh, you didn't know and then when you did know, you did something. And you sent Epaphroditus to help provide for me. And then Paul says something very, very odd in the midst of saying thank you at the beginning of verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need. Um, Paul, newsflash, you're in need, bro. Like, let me just, let me just break it down for you. You are imprisoned. Uh, you're imprisoned with not um, a, a whole lot of stuff that's going to be given to you. Um, um, Paul, you don't know the outcome of what your life is looking like uh, moving forward. Paul, if there's anyone in need right now, man, you are in need. But understand something right there as Paul writes that. Not that I am speaking of being in need. Paul has never equated his external circumstances with his internal need or lack of need. Paul has never, let me say it differently. Paul has not looked at his Roman imprisonment. Paul has not looked at his lack of uh, material things. Paul has not looked at his poverty of money and said, I'm in need because there's something he's gonna unpack in this passage that he has internally that allows him to say, I'm never in need. Not that I am speaking of being in need, and then here it is, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's what we're after today, right? That's the tension we all feel. Like to be able to with integrity say, I've learned regardless of situation, circumstance, and season, what it means to catch this ever elusive contentment thing. You go, I, you go, hey, I, I, I like our house. Our house is good. Man, I'm, I'm really happy with how it turned out. And man, let me show you some of the pictures of what it looked like when we moved in. And look at what it's like now, man. I love our house. And I'm thankful to the Lord for our house. And then I went to their house. My house is okay. But it's not their house. 
I'm thankful for the car. My car gets me from A to B. My car gets me from A to B. It only has a few little dents, dings, and scratches on it. I'm thankful for it. It's a good car. And then he pulled in with his car. Yeah, yeah, I'm thankful for my marriage. And no, I would never say this and have never said this publicly. I'm I'm thankful for my marriage, but I'm one, I'm 10, I'm 30 years into this marriage. And I'm just going to be honest with you. It uh, it It has come a little short than what I expected it to be on the day I said I do. Yeah, I'm thankful for my kids, but why can't they be more like their kids? This contentment thing is a deep, deep wrestle where we're always looking to something else, something out there. Uh, Often it's kind of the next season of life that we believe will finally bring this ever-elusive contentment than we've been after. And Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And now he's going to unpack this more in greater detail in verse 12. He says, I know, I know how to be brought low. You think Paul knows how to be brought low? What is it at the end of what, first or second Corinthians where he just goes through everything he's been through? Like, who can shipwrecked twice? You know what I mean? Like, you understand, like, oh yeah, I was in a shipwreck. Twice. Like, and then, like, like he clings to a board on one of the shipwrecks, you know, and he, like, he floats to the island, and then the dude gets bit by a viper. Like, do you think Paul understands what it's like to be brought low? He said, I get what it's like to be brought low, and I know how to abound In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Let me take that verse and put it on a table here behind us so we can just see this visually. Um, Paul says, I know what it's like to be content in abundance and I know what it's like to be content in need. He said, I know what it's like to be brought low and I know what it's like to abound. I know what it's like to be living in a season of plenty. And I know what it's like to hear my stomach growl in hunger. I know what it's like to experience abundance. And I know what it's like to truly be in need. And in the midst of this, Paul says, I have learned this secret contentment. Uh, What's Paul saying here? I think kind of to say this visually, um, I think Paul's saying, you know what, I've I've sat at two tables in life. I have sat at the table of abundance. And when I talk about the table of abundance, I don't just think in the money material standpoint of abundance. Think of, uh, think of this representing the seasons that are just good. It's just good. There's not relational strife. My kids are thriving. The marriage is healthy. Um, We have some margin in the checkbook. Like things are just good. Paul goes, I know what it's like to sit at the table, to pull up a chair to the table of abundance and seasons of life. And he goes, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be content sitting here. And now we go, of course you do. It's easy to be content when you're seated at the table of abundance, right? Um, wrong. 
Many of you know sitting here, it's been seasons of great blessing and abundance from the Lord. It's been seasons where you look at the table of your life and it's full. And there's something like a little whisper in your heart that goes, yeah, but more. But more. But there's still something out there. And once I get that something out there, then, once that thing is on this table, then I'm good. A guy comes up to me after the first service and he says, uh, he, um, he flies airplanes. I guess, I guess that has a title called a pilot, I guess. Um, and um, he said, I'm taxiing out onto a runway with a guy. He said, I wasn't flying. Another guy was flying. We were flying in his private jet. A $6 million plane. I said, the guy looks over at me as we pass 10, $12 million planes. He goes, man, if I had real money, I'd have that. Not to mention he had two of the six million private jets, a spare. He goes, if I had money, I'd have one of those. And now, we can get on that guy, but how true is that for every area? Like, uh, you know, um, boil that down away from the private jet realm. There's something about us that we tend to think contentment is a what we have thing. What if contentment is not a what we have thing? What if it's a who we have thing? What if contentment is never about what's on the table in a season of life? What, it's, what if it's rather about the one who is seated with us at the table? The Savior King, Jesus Christ. Because contentment's never about a what we have thing. It's always about a who we have thing. And I just got a question because I know some of us walked into church this morning and like if we were honest, we would go, I'm in one of these seasons and praise the Lord for that, Right? Things are good. Things are going well. I'm encouraged. But I, yet I recognize some of us walk in and our chair and a season of life is pulled up to the table of abundance and we're going, as I look around, why is my life better than anything I could have ever imagined and why do I feel less content than I've ever felt? Is it possible that your heart is believing a lie and it's called the curse of more? And you're looking to the what you have on the table and what's not yet on the table as a source of contentment when your eyes instead should be focused on the one who's seated with you at this table, your Savior Jesus Christ, who is the source of your contentment. Paul says, I know what it's like to sit at the table of abundance and I know what it's like to find contentment there. And then he says, I... Uh, I know what the paper plate days are like. Paper plate, solo cup, plastic fork. He goes, I know what it's like to sit at this table. And I know the wrestle. I know the wrestle to believe the lie and to glance over and go, there it is to watch family members, to watch friends, to watch people in your life, to watch them sit at that table and go, when we finally cross over to that table, then we will be content. When we finally live in that house, when we finally drive that car, when we finally have the 2.5 kids and the white picket fence and the dog in the backyard, then we will be content. When we're finally away from paper plates and hamburger helper, which by the way, 
ate so much hamburger helper the first year of marriage, and I still would be, but my wife will not buy it anymore. <laughs> when we finally graduate from this table, then we will experience this thing called contentment. A question for you, if just as you define it, you find yourself at this table here today. Again, whether that be financially, material, whether that be relationally, you're just in a season of life that you're like, this is not how I drew it up. This is not what I would have asked for in this season. Um, and you catch yourself just believing a lie to glance over and to look at the other table and to say, it's all about getting over there. I just got a question. What if contentment will never come at the next table until you found contentment at the current table. Have you found this to be true in life? It's like the, finally the times when I've had extremely discontent seasons of life. It's, it's almost like as soon as I just wave the white flag of surrender to go, Lord, frankly, I'm going to be honest. I'm good with this. that this peace and satisfaction and joy of going, um, it's never been about what's on the table. It's always been about who's seated with me at this table. What if these are two very different tables? What if these are two very different wrestles for contentment? But what if the answer to both of these wrestles is the same thing? It's not about what's on the table. It's about who's with us at the table. Then some of you... (laughs) Some of you have experienced in life what it was like to sit here and through circumstances that you never would have asked for, you now find yourself sitting back here. And you're like, uh, yeah, I know that the stuff over there can never do what Jesus is supposed to do for me, but can I tell you something, Pastor? Um, It was way more fun sitting at that table than it is at this table. Like, what do you have to say about contentment with that? I don't know. I really don't, other than may the Lord bring your heart to a place where as you sit back at this table in a season where you never imagined you'd be sitting back at this table, that somehow the Lord would grip your heart with a joy knowing the one who sits at that table with you. Contentment's never been about a what we have thing. It's always been about a who we have thing. I know how to be, back to verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then Philippians 4.13, don't look, don't look, don't look. Philippians 4.13, some of you can say it. What is it? What is it? Someone be real bold. I can. Every Christian athlete's favorite verse. (laughs) The go-to verse we say before every big event we have in life, before a meeting we're concerned about, before a big presentation, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, great verse, right? Great verse. Verses in scripture are always found in context. They're found in context so that the, the way we live out and apply God's word is lived out in a context as well. 
So uh, this is kind of the crown jewel Christian coffee mug verse. And yes, put it on a coffee mug, but make sure to always set it in the cabinet of the context in which it belongs. What is this? What is that little paragraph? What is it talking about? What is this paragraph about? It's about contentment. And so Paul goes, I've learned what it is to be content in any season. I know the secret of being content in plenty and in want when I'm full and when I'm hungry. And you're like, what's the secret, Paul? Come on, tell us. I want to know because I've been searching for it and I've been left wanting and I've not figured out contentment. He gets down to verse 13. He says, you ready? You ready? You ready? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, when I'm sitting at this table and my heart starts to whisper is that, uh, Paul, you need more. Brock, you need more. Do you see that thing out there, that nice little shiny thing? Once that's on the table, then you'll be content. He goes, when my heart starts to whisper, I go, no, no, no. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because my contentment's never been about what's on this table, but always the one seated at, with me at the table. And Paul goes, I, um, Paul, how do, you, how do you find contentment when you're hungry? How do you find contentment when you're sitting in prison? How do you find contentment not knowing what the outcome of your life is going to be um, um, one day when you leave this prison? So how do you find contentment here? And Paul goes, um, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, I pray something for us. I pray that we would understand that Christ strengthens us to be content in any and every circumstance. And now look, look up here right now. I get that that preaches really easy on Sunday and that lives really hard on Monday. Um, I get that that preaches really easy on Sunday morning and lives really hard on Sunday afternoon. Uh, tonight, my wife doesn't know this yet, but tonight um, I want to get in a car and I want to go look at Christmas lights. And I want to hear my two-year-old in the backseat go, whoa, Christmas is over there too. He thinks Christmas is where Christmas lights are. I love it. <clears throat> Christmas is over there too. Um, as we drive around and look at Christmas lights, guess what? It's going to take us through some neighborhoods that look vastly different than the one I live in. This preaches really well on Sunday morning. How will it live on Sunday afternoon? Um, all of us will know the wrestle this week and the struggle of, why is my job, why is this position, why is this relationship, why is this whatever, why is this, why is this, why is this, why is this, why is it bringing it, why is it not bringing me the contentment I so thought it was because God, out of his goodness to us, has never tied contentment to the things that are on the table. Or He's always like, I want you to find your complete contentment in the fact that I am sitting with you at the table regardless of the season. Next week, it's the last week of the series in Philippians, 14 weeks. And I hope that this has been a 14-week series on the sufficiency of Christ. We titled this series, Gospel Joy. Uh, the gospel is this, it's a good news message 
that Jesus, by his grace, takes us from hopelessly dead in our sin to eternally and abundantly alive in him. That is the gospel. Joy is this. It's an enduring, non-circumstantial delight. Um, What the book of Philippians has just unpacked for us week after week after week after week is this. Jesus Christ is sufficient for all the complete joy I need in this world. And Jesus Christ is sufficient for all the peace and Jesus Christ is sufficient for all the contentment. I no longer have to look to anything else for these things other than my Savior King, Jesus Christ. And we'll go on and we will wrestle this thing back and forth. But I want to ask a question. If uh, you're here today, and I know there probably are some, and you're seated at one of these tables, and if you're honest with yourself, you have always um, been looking for something in this world to finally bring you a lasting joy and a lasting peace and a lasting contentment. And you have, you've pursued all sorts of different things. You've pursued more money. You've pursued more stuff. You've pursued more pleasure. You've pursued relationships with uh, men or with women. And every time, no matter whether you are seated at the table of abundance in a season or you are seated at the table of want, and of scarcity. You have found yourself never able to catch. It's almost like the stuff you've been filling your heart with. Your heart was designed for something else to fill it, and it's because it was. I just wonder if some of us need to wrestle today with this. Is Jesus Christ seated at the table of my life as my Savior with me? And now, listen, I hate infomercial gospel presentations. You know what infomercial gospel presentations are? Just come to know Jesus, and you'll never have a bad day in your life again. Who's found that to be true? (laughs) No, here's the reality. Come to Jesus. Following him on this earth will probably be harder than it was before you knew him. And, you, and, and, and Jesus actually said, if they hated me, guess what? They'll hate you. And he said, oh, you're going to come follow me? Count the cost before you come follow me. But you know what? In the midst of any difficulty that there will be in following and honoring and living for Jesus, there's something that happens when we come to know Jesus. Uh, he tells us he gives us his Holy Spirit. He get his spirit, get this now, please. His spirit dwells in us. And he says the fruit of it will be love and it'll be joy and it'll be peace and it'll be patience and it'll be kindness and it'll be goodness and it'll be faithfulness and it'll be gentleness and it'll be self-control. And his intent was always that his people with his spirit dwell in them will be able to sit at any table the Lord seats them at with a smile on their face going, I'm good. Why are you good? Because I know the one whom my heart was created to know. If you're here today, I just asked you, do you know the one who your heart was created to know? And if you're like, I don't know, or no, I don't, how do I meet him? Let me tell you how you meet him. The Bible tells us that we are saved by the grace of God 
Get that. You hear that all the time. What does grace mean? Grace means it's a gift we don't deserve. Grace means that we're not working for it. We're not earning it. It is a gift God gives us the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. How do I put my faith in Jesus Christ? You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You, may, uh, you commit your life to Christ much in the same way you've committed uh, to uh, many other things you've done in life. You've articulated, you've verbalized, you've said, um, I'm in. As this service ends, you're gonna have a time to say, I'm in. Jesus, I see that I have been longing and searching after things to fill me that can't and won't ever. I'm turning away from my own life. I'm turning away for how I think this needs to be done. And I'm turning to you to become the Lord and Savior of my life. Before you walk out of this room today, I pray that the Spirit of God would put a tow rope around your heart and would just start cranking it to himself. And for all of us in here, we're closing the service with a time of communion. And if you're serving communion, you can release yourself to the back to get ready uh, to pass the elements out. But in a time of communion, there's a couple of things God's word instructs of us. What is communion? Uh, communion is us taking time to remember the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. When Jesus went to the cross, it's much more than just an event of history. He was paying a sin penalty for us. I love the way Pastor DJ said it during our worship time. He said, the innocent dying for the guilty so that the guilty could be declared innocent. And when we stop and pause and take time to remember the sacrifice on the cross, there's something that God does to get our eyes back on the sacrifice made by our Savior. What is communion? Now, who's communion for? Communion is for those of you in the room today who have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And now if you're here and maybe you're going, when did you do that? I did that like 30 seconds ago. Praise the Lord. And partake in the goodness of remembering the sacrifice of your Savior on your behalf. Maybe though you're here and you're like, I'm not sure on this whole Jesus thing. And I'm still checking this. It's okay. Like, let the tray pass. No judgment zone at all. Just let the tray pass. Uh, but this is for those who have turned their life to Jesus Christ. And then the scripture, how do we take this? Scripture tells us that when we take communion, we're to search our heart. The Lord will do some work on us and in us as we are sitting there preparing to take the elements. He tells us to search our heart. Some of us in here today, we have uh, sin that needs to be confessed to him. We have sin that needs to be repented of. Uh, maybe a spirit of, of, of grumbling, complaining, ungratefulness that just needs to be brought before him in this time. So I would just encourage us, bow your heads right now. Let's enter in just the spirit of getting ready to take this. The ushers are going to come and pass and as they do, the bread and the cup are stacked on top of each other. Make sure you have both of those cups and the inner circle of purple cups is for those of you who need uh, gluten-free. And I'll be back in a moment to lead us through communion.